Hello, good morning, good evening, Matthew Grant here, and thank you for inviting us along for your run, drive, cycle, or whatever else you get up to, whilst you are plugging us in. We don't really care, we're just delighted to have you joining us. And if this is your first time, then welcome. Please do stick around. If you like this, there are plenty more episodes to choose from. Well, we're spreading the workload at Instec these days, and Henry Gale is joining me this week as we interview Sid Jahar, founder, chairman, and CEO of Abol. Of course, all our podcast guests are fascinating. We wouldn't invite them to join us otherwise. But it's always fascinating, particularly to talk to founders who have both built a company and built a product. It's really two jobs in one. We're back on parametry today, but we touch on many other areas of interest in managing risk and handling issues related to climate and access to more and better data. Sid, like most of our guests, is a corporate member of Instep. We've over 170 companies from insurance, analytics, technology, and a whole lot more we're working with to help reveal the best examples of innovation and new ideas around risk and insurance. If you want to find out more, contact us, hello at instec.co or me, Matty Grant, by LinkedIn. Find out what we offer and what it costs. And finally, thanks to all of you that have been in contact to tell me you're listening. My favorite recent message, though, is from the leader of a well-known market association who told me that he'd been in commas forced to listen to the podcast by his team and was surprised and delighted to find he actually enjoyed it. So please keep spreading the word about what we're up to. And now over to Sid. Sid, delighted to have you joining us today. Uh, we've been following Arbol very closely. I think you are leading in many ways in what you're doing. We can talk a bit more about those in a minute. I've also uh, brought Henry Gale along with me. You know Henry very well, but Henry is our leading research analyst for Parametric. So if the questions get too tricky, uh, Henry's, Henry's going to step in and uh, help me. And he's got some tricky questions for you, Sid. So hope you're ready for that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. So I was going to kick off the, the few facts about Arbol. So you were founded in 2018. You're there to help companies manage weather and climate risks globally, although I think you're looking at some other areas as well. You offer weather derivatives and also parametric insurance for industries, which include agriculture, energy, maritime, and hospitality. And you've now expanded into reinsurance. Going to be hearing more about that. Uh, and you're also helping uh, pricing for insurers as well. And the company's raised close to $19 million in funding to date. So Sid, we're going to obviously talk more detail about Arbol, but anything sort of important in terms of the high-level description that we didn't cover there? No, I think broadly, that's that's great. That's a great start. So you're one of the intriguing people who doesn't have a background in insurance. You were previously a commodities trader at Citadel, and you identified an opportunity to offer coverage. You know, what was it about when you were at Citadel that gave you the, the desire to go out there and create a new business? And you know, what kind of problems were you seeing that you felt you could solve? So I had been in the commodity space for almost 10 years at a few different shops, Citadel included. I'd done different roles as a quant, as a portfolio manager. And the real focus was in understanding supply chains and how they behave and what are the asymmetric opportunities that present themselves when supply chains are shifted or under stress and other kinds of modeling those fundamentals in a quantitative manner. What was frequent, of course, is that these industries, which are multi-trillion dollar industries, whether you talk about oil and gas or crops or livestock uh, globally, uh, they are constantly being stressed by weather and climate risk. But at the same time, um, you know, the market for such 
instruments to transfer risk was non-existent. A big purpose of financial markets is to transfer risk from parties that don't want it to parties that are happy to take it. You can transfer price risk very easily in commodities, but you couldn't transfer uh, weather risk easily at all or if at all. And so that was something that I felt was an opportunity, especially as climate risk as a broader issue was going to be affecting more and more businesses in commodities and beyond. And so the overall premise was that if we can bring efficiency, transparency, and access, you can create a new market that enables people to transfer out their climate and weather risk in different regulatory forms, whether it's derivatives or insurance, the risk is the same. Sid, we'd love to ask people what their definition is of parametric. So if you're at a party and someone says to you, Sid, what on earth is parametric insurance? How do you bring it to life for them? Sounds like a fun party. Um, (laughs) what What I would say is traditional insurance is settled by a adjuster, a professional coming to your farm or business or, or, or home to estimate a damage. Parametric changes that paradigm by paying you based on data. It says, here's a data set. Did it hit the trigger? Here's a payment. Now, what, what's a real world example of that? Say you run a farm and we have rainfall data for right around your farm. If it says that, you know, in July, the total rainfall was well below average, we can have a contract beforehand that says, hey, if it doesn't rain as measured by data, you get a payout. Doesn't matter what happened on your farm exactly. It will just pay based on data. And that's the premise of parametric insurance or derivatives or any of the other financial products that are parametric. I like it. So I think you'll survive outside the... uh the very narrow world of insurance and insurtech parties. So uh, uh, <laughs> so with that, uh, Henry, over to you for uh, some of the more technical questions for Sid. Yeah, the next question is, about, uh, Sid, how, how does Arbol operate? Uh, what's the business model? Are you an MGA or how would you describe it? So Arbol itself operates a derivatives platform, a US MGA that's licensed in 48, almost 50 states. Um, and a Bermuda MGU to facilitate reinsurance transactions. We have set all this up so that we can transact in parametric contracts in whichever regulatory framework they may need to be in, whether they need to be derivatives, insurance, or reinsurance. And we transact across the space. And that was important for us uh, as we grew that we were not uh, relegated to one specific channel because then you don't get to maximize diversification. Our capital base is, is uh, separate entities. Arbol Inc. itself does not take underwriting risk. It's a purely uh, fee-earning uh, entity similar to an MGA in, in business model. Yeah, and am I right that you also uh, you work with insurers to allow them to use some of the, your pricing tools and data as well? I think you've announced a partnership with Sing Life recently in Singapore. Yes. So one of the things we noticed was that the climate risk space, of course, has a lot of needs beyond just writing the insurance contracts. And while that's our primary business, we also uh, you know have a tremendous amount of climate risk analytics, parametric insurance analytics 
pricing analysis, all of that's been built over the years that we felt could be useful in uh, more of a SaaS context, like the subscription and the service context. So that's our first uh, such transaction where we are helping them settle parametric rainfall contracts for travel insurance. So even though we're not writing the contracts or providing the risk capital, we have a lot of the technology built in to settle these contracts and uh, can essentially help uh, any insurer working on parametric insurance. It's much more than rainfall for Arbol, isn't it? I mean, I, I hear you've got some quite interesting examples of, of recent transactions you've done that are maybe quite new or unusual types of parametric contracts. Could you maybe give us one of those examples? Beyond the usual temperature rainfall, I mean, one of the really interesting avenues we have been working on is parametric reinsurance. So if you take a, let's say you take a home insurer with hundreds of thousands of homes and a hurricane season passes through, the claim settlement on that takes a while, as you guys know. Um, and so they may not get paid from their reinsurer on a traditional reinsurance contract for a while. This causes a whole lot of issues, including cash flow mismatch and, and stress on the insurer. What we did was we said, let's make a parametric lookalike contract uh, for the whole portfolio. So each home becomes a point. It gets paid based on hurricane track data, wind speed data passing uh, through. And that is calibrated to what their portfolio looks like so that it creates a reinsurance contract that is parametric for us, but it gets as close to their outcome as possible. What this now does is after a hurricane passes through in two weeks or so or less, they can get a payment, uh, which covers, you could say, their first order risk very, very closely. And then the rest can be reinsured. Um, this is a way that parametric is going beyond your simple rainfall and temperature contracts to solve key challenges for the insurance industry. I can give one more example of a very different sort of thing where we're working on a hybrid program um, in, in, in Florida. So big problem is litigation risk there, as you, I'm sure you guys are quite aware. A lot of the litigation stems from the roof. Um, you know, roof is damaged, storm passes by, let's file a claim now. And, and there, that's a huge problem for the industry. So our hybrid program will do something where the bottom of the house is traditionally adjusted, but the roof pays based on parametric. Now this uh, parametric like winds, uh, hurricane track again and wind speed. This now gives the insurer a very clear line of sight onto what the expected damages would be and really essentially uh, you know, severely reduces any of the litigation risk because now it's a very clear contract on roof damage. Both sides have a very clear understanding of what this is. And so this is yet a different way, but also a very interesting way that parametric can work with traditional insurance to create hybrid products that solve key issues around what the insurance industry is facing with a fully traditional model. It's really interesting. I just came across an article, actually only a few days ago, on that last point about litigation and uh, from our friend Steve Evans at Artemis. And, and it's saying in there that there was $51 billion of expenses paid by insurance companies in the last decade, of which 71% went on litigation and only 
8% went paid on policyholders. So to your point about that being a, a big issue, I mean, it's, it's a massive issue. So clearly, if you can help solve that, yeah, that's really going to make a big difference. And then really interesting, you mentioned reinsurance, because of course, back in the really early days of catastrophe bonds and insurance linked securities, which is now probably about 25 years ago, your yeah, reinsurers were the big buyers of those and it, parametric products were being used, but they're much more um, or far less granular than the way you're doing it. Yes. So really interesting to hearing you're doing it at the building level. But of course, one of the problems they had in those early days was that at certain wind speeds, the traditional wind speed recorders just blow away. So it's, it's quite hard. It was actually hard or actually impossible to get a true parametric index. Presumably, well, I know some people have solved that. <laughs> have you solved that particular problem for the, the policies you're offering or the reinsurance parametric you're offering? We have worked on it. It's, it's a work in progress. Like the data is getting better over time, but it's always a work in progress. I mean, we tend to triangulate between the uh, National Weather Service hurricane tracking, which is a different sort of data source with wind speed ones. And these are meant for the, 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 you know, the hurricanes, like actual, not, not just high wind speed. We have other products for high wind speeds, which is a, which is a different sort of modeling. And we'll be actually coming out with a lot of stuff around severe storms, for example, and and other related phenomenon. But this was meant for hurricanes where the track and wind speed is a little more, uh, you know, sort of measured in a different way by the National Weather Service. And to, as you mentioned, get as granular as possible. I mean, each point here is paying out with a function that is calibrated to their portfolio. So it's it is um, you know in concept uh, you know that's what the difference with the cat bond is. This is not just a generic payment, and uh, you know we're working on uh, more insurers like that because I think the interest will be very strong because of the customization we can offer. Yeah, and it's a reminder actually that you know, the, the the quality of the indices available, and certainly as to your point, there's a lot better high resolution information available now than there was. 25 years ago. And then that kind of leads on to a later question, which is people are, are, are curious to know, and often this drives the use of parametric, on where are the success stories of payouts. Now, it's, it's always intriguing, I think, in, in the early days of parametric, people are still celebrating, you know, insurance companies are celebrating payouts. But have you got some examples you can point to where your clients or your clients' clients, I guess, if it's an insurance company, have actually received payouts from triggers that you've designed and, and managed for them? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one one great example that uh, we actually wrote a whole case study on this uh, that I encourage uh, listeners to read. But this was on a uh, cotton gin uh, and warehousing uh, entity where one of the problems that agribusiness in general faces is that they are just as exposed to the crop uh, outcome as a farmer is, but they don't get to avail the crop insurance subsidies and all the other things that the farmers can. What we did for this entity was that we said, let's, and we have a whole platform that says it's fully automated, but you can actually purchase insurance on local cotton yield. That data is released by the USDA. It's a well-known data set and it's, uh, you know, they can, you can pick as many counties as you want uh, from where you source uh, your uh, cotton. And so you can ensure your local production footprint with us. And that gives you comfort that if the crop in my local area fails, I have two choices. I can shut down my operations or 
I have to purchase it from elsewhere, which is not even always feasible and definitely much more expensive because you have to pay in transport costs and a whole lot of other things. And so um, that's, that's a transaction we did uh, with a lot of clients over the last two years. Uh, and and, and uh, one particular one is our case study in our, our, on our site. And it's about how you know, they, we got them paid quickly and, whatever, and transparently, and that really helped them out. And so it's nice to see when, you know, it's a use case of parametric that is providing a product that just doesn't exist out there. And that's always, you know, 50% of our clients um, basically didn't have any other options. And so that's always the uh, really nice part to see that we're not ju- trying to displace traditional insurance. It's that there are so many coverage gaps we see where we don't need to displace traditional insurance. We can just fill those spaces in. So this is, Henry, why I asked you to join me on this recording, because uh, I knew Sid is going to have some complicated algorithms. USDA, do you know what that stands for? It's the US Department of Agriculture, isn't it? Fantastic, well done. (laughs) Sid, you've given us lots of great examples of of sort of individual parametric deals, but could you give us a sense of the overall scale Arbol is operating at, maybe a gross written premium? A couple of years ago, we were around 2 million gross written premium. This year, we are well on track to end the year above uh, 200 million. So it's been, uh, it's been nice to see the tremendous amount of client demand out there. And as I always uh, tell uh, a lot of folks, uh, we are just scratching the surface. Even in the spaces we operate in, even in agriculture and energy, we see tremendous opportunities to grow in the regions we operate in. And we are opening up new regions like Latin America and uh, uh, Asia. We're opening a Singapore office shortly. So there is a lot of areas that we haven't even touched yet. And so you touched this earlier on. Can you talk a little bit about where you are getting the capacity to, to back the products you're releasing? We have a very unique capacity profile that is very different than, uh, than your usual insure tech capacity. And that was partly necessary because Parametric had so much trouble uh, growing the last 20 years or so. You know, the insurance industry is not necessarily built, uh, especially at the early stage, to grow a parametric business. Now, as we have grown bigger, of course, you know, it's become easier to work with the uh, reinsurance industry and we are working on onboarding a number of partners from the reinsurance side uh, to be capacity providers. But Going back to the early days, the way you, we, we felt we had to spark this engine, so to speak, was to bring in non-traditional capital. And having spent a lot of time on Wall Street and uh, uh, also on my co-founding team, um, we uh, raised initially about $200 million as, as sort of a credit facility managed account structure. And that has now grown to uh, uh, $500 million. And we are also launching, I uh, will be launching a fund that will also collect capacity from, say, uh, we, we call them real money institutional non-insurance entities. As we have built distribution, this is a portfolio that is very unique. You have a little bit of rainfall risk in Iowa. You have a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, heat wave risk in Paris, uh, wind speed risk in Australia. As you start to build that diversification, this portfolio becomes really, really interesting for a, any sort of investment entity that is generally relegated to stocks and bonds and a few large commodities, right? 
those markets have started to move in lockstep. Everyone is looking for that alpha. Like, where do you find uncorrelated risk? And so this is a great uh, opportunity to find that because it doesn't move lockstep with any market. It is not related to the economic cycle. And, um, you know, and it has a very good return stream that, be, you know, is well ahead of things like ILS uh, because we have spent the time to build our own unique distribution. That's what we, uh, we you know, we offer certain things to the user and that's what we offer to the capacity side. And we sort of sit in the middle kind of connecting those two worlds. And you mentioned the distribution there, Sid. How does distribution work for Arbol? How does the the end customer find out about you and and eventually get through to to buying the product? We have a number of different uh, ways we do this. We have uh, distribution via agents uh, on the agricultural side. Most of the agricultural world, you know, interacts with insurance through insurance agents. And here, our agent network is very deep. in addition to the large usual guys that I'm sure you guys know, um, we go down to you know agents who might cover 100 farmers in a corner of the United States, for example. And we built that distribution from the ground up. Now we are doing similar in uh, agriculture for Latin America and other areas and Europe, bringing on more agents to our platform. And what the agents get on our platform is a very simple interface, few clicks, and the coverage is done. All of this stuff is as automated as can be, so it reduces the operational and paperwork burden. Uh, the clients are, you know, uh, informed on how their transactions are going. All the payouts are automated. Uh, where we can, we debit the premium and credit back the payout without a single claims form. So these are all kind of things we built to help the agents have minimal uh, friction. In other areas like energy, um, um, a lot of our business is direct. We have a lot of direct energy relationships. Again, very different than a usual insurance distribution. And uh, we are in the process of partnering with also various data and other analytics platforms who already have clients where we can bundle in our products. So it's sort of a, um, you know, it's industry dependent, but it is very much dependent on figuring out scale. And another area that we know you're active in is captives. We've been looking at captives recently because we recently did a podcast with Richard Kutcher from the Global Captive Podcast. I think we'd describe a captive as normally a corporation setting up an insurance company as its own subsidiary so that it can provide insurance to other companies within that group. Um, But you've set up your own captive insurer. Can you explain a little bit about how that works and, and, and what the purpose of that is? What we have done with the captive program is basically provide a full service solution for anyone looking to set up a captive. A lot of the um, you know, focus around captives right now is on climate risk. So if you are a company looking to set up a captive, we have a captive cell renting uh, service along with all the climate risk analytics and pricing that you would need to uh, warehouse your climate risk. On top of that, If you have too much climate risk for your captive and need reinsurance on top of that for us to take over some of the risk, we are happy to also work with you on that. And so it becomes a total end-to-end solution where um, if you already have a captive, we have the analytics and possibly reinsurance support. If you are setting up from scratch, we can also rent you a captive cell uh, out of Connecticut and have a full-service setup 
pricing, analytics, everything uh, that you need to get that goal. And we see a lot of uh, interest in this aspect uh, because, again, climate risk is becoming a big topic in the capital space. And it's difficult to find insurance for a lot of different types of climate risk. So captives are going to become a uh, more broadly used solution for that, at least in a, a lot of corporate space. And renting a captive cell, though, I think if our listeners want to learn more about captives, they can listen to our recent podcast. But that's about uh, your clients essentially using a slice of your captive as their own captive without having to manage the captive insurance company themselves. Yes, exactly. Henry, I'm thrilled you listened to the end of that podcast because that was a special that was a special extra bit at the very end about what a cell captive is. So you've really done your homework well. Uh, yeah, definitely recommend that podcast. It's number 198 back in July with uh, with Richard Kutcher, which explains about, about captives generally and uh, also mentions actually briefly what Arbol's doing as well. So good to hear you in that one as well, Sid. Um, I just want to ask you a slightly different question, which is about your own experience of building the business. And I think what people forget sometimes when they look at companies or, or recently created companies is you're kind of living in this parallel world of building a product and selling it, but you've also actually got to build a business at the same time. We could do a whole podcast just on that topic alone, I'm sure. But Sid, for you, what would be uh, your kind of top tip or recommendation to other people that are looking at launching their own business? I had worked for uh, many years. And so going out on my own, uh, especially, you know, uh, from the Wall Street world where life is relatively, uh, you know, set in terms of being comfortable was a big challenge. Uh, and it, it, it was uh, it was honestly frightening in many ways to just leave that comfort of a world you know really well to entering a world you just actually don't know. This was different than setting up a hedge fund, which I would have been a very comfortable with in terms of knowing what to do. Here, I, I was a newcomer to insurance, and so everything was uh, new on day one. So there was a lot of steep learning curve. And what you find with uh, starting to build your own company is that uh, you basically have to wear a tremendous number of hats, from being a fundraiser to building a business, like you said, to dealing with legal, regulatory. Again, in a large firm, a lot of these uh, activities are outsourced, and you can focus on your job. Um, and that's a very tough adjustment. Uh, and you're also your own secretary. I was doing calendar appointments. I mean, everything, right? And so the top tip there would be really about finding the right team to start with. There are certain businesses where it's okay and um, you know totally fine to start it alone. Um, but generally, the larger and more complex the operation, the better team, uh, initial team. And I was very lucky that our initial team came together very naturally. Uh, we had people in tech, uh, my brother in data science. Uh, you know, my uh, one of my co-founders started in Solomon Brothers in the 1980s and AIG Commodities Partner in the 90s. Tremendous depth of knowledge about being an executive as well as about, uh, you know, finance. And so by combining different talent pools, and that's the other part about picking a team, is you definitely don't want people who think just like you. Um, you don't want people with your experience necessarily. You don't want people who are necessarily just uh, your copies because then you're not really going to get what you need. You need people with from different types of backgrounds and different ways they think and learn from that and build on it uh, because otherwise 
you know, there are so many, um, like I said, hats you have to wear and you have, you can't be good at all of them. And so you need that uh, team to kind of take over different parts of building the business and everyone, you know, you need to find those people who are dedicated enough to stick with it. And I was lucky to have three other co-founders who were uh, very dedicated as well. Well, I'm sure it's more than just Luxin, and thank you for that. And I, it reminds me that your Y Combinator, which is probably one of the most well-respected and I, with many successful companies yep. behind it, accelerators out of, out of California, um, they certainly for a while, they would only bring companies into Y Combinator that had a co-founding team. Right. Um, and then I think the other thing is you know, just your own background is for people looking at should they get into insurance, it kind of looks complicated, but I think once you've figured out that it's, a lot of it's just about the language people use, the basic concepts themselves are not that difficult. And as you've shown, if you identify the use case, particularly, I think that's where we've seen some really interesting success stories. If people have either had a personal experience or you know they kind of understand what the problem is, figure out that insurance is a place to go and deliver it. And in your case, you know, being able to bring together both your capital markets background, but also you know, understand and develop, develop what's happening in um, insurance. And I guess this leads on to the next question in a way, in the sense that uh, I don't think you're ever going to stand still and not being satisfied with starting up one organization. You've also got another one on the side called Declimate. Can you tell us a bit about what Declimate does? Declimate is, uh, is fascinating. So um, unusual. there's a lot of things unusual about us. One of the other ones is that we started as a blockchain white paper. And the whole goal was to have a peer-to-peer insurance platform embedded insurance contracts in NFTs that interface with a decentralized data network. That's a lot of jargon in there. And uh, in 2018, definitely nobody cared or knew what even an NFT was. And peer-to-peer insurance was regulatorily extremely difficult, if not impossible. But, you know, like I said, I didn't know anything. So (laughs) when I started about uh, regulatory side, but what did come out of that was that there was a lot of interesting benefits of blockchain that were not apparent at the time. When you do a single rainfall contract, you could just do that on a spreadsheet. There is no need for things like blockchain. But you, if you envision a, if envision a world where you are having data coming from millions of sensors and uh, you know, um, you know, hundreds of public data sets and all being processed in different ways, How's, how do you do the auditing of that? And there are parties in an, every insurance contract that don't trust each other. The agents, the, the, the reinsurers, the reinsurance brokers, the client, the uh, MGA. A blockchain is a very efficient way to have a source of truth that is agreed upon by different parties without a central authority figure telling you. And it, it's hard to find a central authority figure in insurance because it is a very disparate sort of business model. So intuitively, I felt that there was some use case. And now we are starting to see that even in Arbol, where uh, smart contracts kind of regulate our backend. And there's a lot of interesting things going on back there, probably for a different uh, podcast. Um, but Declimate was our data network that we spun out. We felt that um, kind of like how AWS is, the infrastructure we had built for ourselves would be useful to the outside world. And Declimate provides really high-grade climate data, easily accessible, and it's coming out with a platform next month to make it even easier and nicer to get climate data, to get weather data. And this is the kind of stuff that, you know, I think we are 
just starting that journey on. Because what DeClimate does is builds a foundation for others to build climate applications, including parametric insurance. We're happy to have others build parametric insurance using DeClimate. I mean, a lot of the work that goes into building a parametric thing is first, let's get the data cleaned and ready. Well, this is all ready. Um, but it doesn't have to be parametric insurance. People are building all sorts of interesting stuff, like an app about coffee and an app about forest monitoring and a lot of different things that uh, once you provide that foundational layer, you start to mushroom out new applications at much cheaper and, and easier. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're doing with DeClimate. I mean, we're seeing more and more of this, this evolution of platforms. And it's actually kind of interesting. You mentioned AWS or Amazon Web Services. I mean, that's now driving as much or almost more revenue, I think, than what we traditionally would have known Amazon for. And, and that's often the case, I think, when we see the sort of platform play versus the single solution. And, and also, you mentioned NFTs in passing. It's kind of interesting. We haven't seen much about them in the last few months with all the, the turmoil in the, in the crypto market. Uh, but anything else? Said about declimate before we uh, before we wrap things up. Yeah, one last thing was that we are uh, we have finished the acquisition of uh, Oasis Hub, which is widely used in the I think uh, the insurance and academic space. Uh, it will add a tremendous amount of data to our uh, declimate network, and uh, we look forward to working with those clients, both either for declimate or Arbol. And thank you, Matthew, for the initial introduction on that uh, lab fund. I'm very pleased that went through. That was our good friend, Dickie Whitaker. And I wish to clarify for me listening, that's a, a sister company, but not the same company as the Oasis Loss Modeling Framework, which is still uh, thriving, as a, again, as a platform, actually, for, yep. for models. Uh, good. So, Henry, I'm going to hand over to you for uh, any final final words. Well, we're delighted to have you, Sid, and Arbol as a member of Instech. Uh, can you tell us why you've, why you've decided to be part of Instech? For us, it's been great. Uh, it's been a great way to uh, meet more of the insurance industry. I mean, for us, especially initially coming in as outsiders to the insurance industry, um, it's a great way to network with the insurance community. Uh, the podcast themselves are a great learning tool for uh, our team. And, uh, you know, I think uh, as the Oasis Hub example, uh, you know, we just mentioned, you know, it's a, it's a great way to also uh, get introductions and, and, and uh, you know, find meaningful uh, partnerships that uh, I think uh, it's, it's hard to find, uh, you know, you know through generalist agencies and you guys really know your insurance space well. Well, thanks very much, Sid. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and have you on the podcast. And if people want to learn more about Arbol, what should they do? In addition to our website, arbolmarket.com, you can write to us at info at arbolmarket.com and uh, one of us will write back very shortly. Thanks very much, Sid. Thank you, guys. Hello, I'm Simon, the Digital Marketing Manager at Instec. Our next live event is on Wednesday, the 12th of October at Codenode in London, and is focused on the attributes needed for successful change projects. Supported by Cognizant, the event will feature real examples of projects that have been implemented with speakers from Canopius, Howden and others. They will be sharing their top tips for success and the traps to be avoided. The event is free to Instec members. You can register online at instec.co forward slash events. Well, thanks to Sid. Logging on there and delighted to have Arbol as a corp member. And if you'd like to learn more about parametric insurance, then we've got a couple of reports you may want to take a look at 
on the website and also you can sign up for Henry's parametric newsletter www.instec.co and if you are an insurance company or a technology company and wondering what we're offering as corporate members then please do get in contact with any of us hello at instec.co or me Matthew Grant via LinkedIn okay that's it we're done